Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you something, people. Uh, since I moved back to New Jersey, I've been, uh, I've been eating a lot of blueberries. And that sounds weird because I lived in California and Los Angeles, and you always got them. But they're New Jersey blueberries, and they're so good. And I feel like almost like a blueberry junkie. And I do, I think now, I think they're like a gateway fruit because now it's cherry season. And I keep eating them, and now it's peach season also. And I just keep eating the fruit. And it's really good because, you know, I've had the health problems in the past. And now... I'm feeling good, and I can't help it because it's summer. I'm back in New Jersey where I grew up, and uh, that's about it. Anyway, we have a great show today. We have a, a very talented musician who, um, actually, he has a show coming up this Friday and a show coming up the 28th in New York. I want to talk about his career, but I want to talk about those shows coming up, and my guest is Eric Martin. How you doing, Eric? I'm doing good. Wow, strange fruit conversation. I, You know, uh, you know, it's funny that you said this because... Um, Blueberries, I, is that like uh, is, is, is that like something that's like in season now or was in Jersey or something? Is that because I, I you know I love blueberries. It's like you, were, you the way you were talking about it, you were like Violet from uh, Willy Wonka. <laughs> The you know, it's funny. I grew up in New Jersey. I've, I've been in L.A. for 15 years. I just moved back, and and you get them in L.A. But it's amazing that when you're when they're just when they come from like 20 minutes away, like the town has them, and you get them, and they're just so good. And it's summer, and it's a lot more humid back here than it was in L.A. And it's just it's very refreshing. And I think it's uh you know we don't take the time to enjoy little things like that, and it, and it makes me happy. I mean, I talk to celebrities all the time, but give me blueberries, and I'm I'm just as happy. Oh, yeah. Maybe uh, blueberries. I mean, like, you know, who knew? You know, everybody thought that maybe Jack Daniels would do it. But no, blueberries give you way more energy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, I got to ask you, I want to talk about your career. You had a great career. But now you have the show coming up uh, Friday, I believe, at the Throckmorton, which is um, is actually a very, uh, my friend Rick Overton's a comic. He does a lot of shows. There. It's a very it's a very legendary place in the Bay Area. And then you have the show yeah. in uh, New York. What are you going to be playing on these shows? It's because, you know, I know you've, you've just gone off tour with uh, Mr. Big and you guys are going out again. But what do people, what will they expect when they come to your show, um, like this Friday and then the one in New York? Okay. The well, the Throckmorton Theater, which is in this town called Mill Valley, maybe about five, ten minutes over the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. Really cool old uh, theater redone but this specific show uh this friend of mine roger silver uh he is an an author a songwriter poet drug smuggler <laughs> i swear to god from the from the past but uh painter he's a kind of uh, world uh traveler kind of guy and he he has he put together this book called go insane in San Francisco, and like his brother, uh, Steve Silver, who uh, created this, this the longest-running musical, um, probably in history, but in San Francisco, it's called Beach Blanket Babylon, and it's, you know, sells out every night for probably maybe 30, 40 years now. But uh, Roger wanted to, uh, from his book... He, he also wrote all these songs with me and a, and a bunch of other songwriters, and he went, uh, eventually put together a musical. And so these are a collection of songs that we've written together 
um, like in the 80s and some of the 90s, but mainly in the 80s. Um, and he put together like all these people that he, he wrote songs with. Um, and uh, we're going to be playing, yeah, we're going to be playing all these songs I mean, like no, that no one's ever heard before. Plus, I'm going to be doing some Mr. Big songs as well, like some of the hits and all that. But uh, pretty much this Friday uh, is all kind of new songs to, to the public. Um, playing with me is this, uh, Neil Sean's son, Miles Sean, phenomenal guitar player, unbelievable. And uh, my wife, Denise, is going to be playing drums. Uh, uh, this guy, Mark Choley, bass player that I played with like, for like over 20, 30 years now. And a couple singers, April Grisman and Amber Morris, that I've sung with many times before. It's kind of a rock and soul band, but it's going to have a more acoustic flavor. Kind of a, It's going to be a, a mellow night on Friday. Uh, and completely left field, uh, when I worked with the USA Pop Brigade with P.J. Farley and Steve Brown from Trickster, this is more of like bash out the A chords, thrashy, punk pop rock band that I put together just to, um, and eventually have other artists come and join us, like, you know, like New Jersey's own Jolyn Turner and uh, maybe um, like to shoot Kai and possibly, you know, get John Waite and Eddie Money people that I've worked with before, Kip Winger, Joe, uh, Jess Scott Soto, just to come and join us uh, and maybe put like some, some sort of a package tour together. And this would be the package, USA Pop Brigade, playing each other's hits and having, you know, two and a half hour plus fun uh, party night. Nobody's going to dress up in 80s clothes or anything like that. <laughs> We're just going uh, <laughs> to... It's not that kind of band. But we are going to play you know, kind of a middle be a variety kind of show too. I mean, like I remember working with Mark Slaughter on some of the, some gigs like these and Mark is so, he's so funny. He does like voiceover work for Warner brothers and all that, you know, and it's a, you know, it, I did something like this in the past. It was called scrap metal and scrap metal, which is Matthew and Gunnar Nelson, Kelly Kage sometimes playing drums, Mark Slaughter, Kip Winger. This is similar to the USA Proper Gate, but Scrap Metal only plays like three or four times a year, and I'd like to do this a lot more and take it international. And um, like we did, you know, we when uh, I came up with this idea in the beginning of the year, and I wanted to work with PJ and Steve. I, I love those guys from the past. They're great rhythm section, as well as our friend Rich Scanella, who's a drummer who plays with Kings of Suburbia, uh, Bon Jovi's solo band. And the four of us went to Japan, and, you know, it was, it was only four shows, but it was it was so much fun. There was, you know, no, if you think you stink, there was no problems, <laughs> no nothing. We just played each other's hits, and a couple, you know, we, we added, our encore was King's X, uh, Goldilocks, you know, just some fun stuff to do. And that's what this USA Pop Brigade's all about. And so that'll be coming up on the, what is it, the 22nd 
I think, at Mexicali Live in New Jersey. Okay. See, that's awesome. I mean, I may yeah. come out. You never know. I live in New Jersey. Now, I got to ask you, um, your your career, you've been playing and performing for a long time. Your father was a musician, right? Did that did that get you started in the tracks to follow? Did you always yeah. want to follow him? Yeah. My, my, he, uh, before my dad was in the Army, um, he was a drummer in a couple 40s swing bands back in Cincinnati, uh, Ohio. And he had also played with national acts that came through town like Doris Day, Les Brown. Um, I don't know. That was the only two that I remember from my childhood. But uh, and he would be, he, you know, he, he had his own band. Oh, Four Aces as well. He played with, the, you know, they had a hit. It was called Three Coins in a Fountain. Some of you older folks <laughs> are going to get that. But some of you guys who love retro um, great uh, uh, singer kind of guys. Like I think Mario Lanza did a hit with it, and my dad played with them on tour. But um, he had this drum set laying around, and it was like, and he never, he didn't, he never pushed me on the music thing. When he went, when we traveled so much because it was army duties, we those drums would come with us. And he would tinker around with him once in a while, but you know, he had so much going on with his army career. And I'd see him in the in the you know in the basement. He'd set him up or kind of be in the in the corner, and then I'd start setting him up and start playing him. And he would say, "You can't play these unless you learn how to do the fundamentals, the rudiments, and all that." And I had this little practice pad, and I constantly stared at those drums going oh man one day and I and eventually eventually I had a couple uh, you know I, I had a couple beats a couple really simple rock and roll beats or not rock and roll just simple beats you know and, and learned how to play brushes and I had my the way I played drums um I had it between the thumb and the third finger you know the old uh, Gene Krupa style and uh to play some snare drum and I had a couple bands when I was starting out. Uh, I used to make this joke about uh, the reason why I became a singer is because I didn't want to carry the bass drum up two or three flights of stairs. I think I did that once, and that's when I went, oh, man, I, I, uh, there's got to be something else I could do being in a band. Yeah, and then I, I played drums, and I, yeah, I sang at the same time. I did, like, a, we, we played cover songs. This was, like, back in this late 60s and we did uh, Rare Earths um, Get Ready well you know, temp Temptations Get Ready Cause Here I Come you know um, and Celebrate but uh, Rare Earths sort of version and I played drums and sang and I remember the singer that we had in our band which was called our band was called The Buzz B-U-Z-Z-Z Z-Z-Z-Z Infinity and our singer didn't show up and uh, we had an, we had another guy with us who was like just a hanger-on guy, and and I and he goes, you, you get up front, you sing one or two songs. I did, and he played drums, and everybody realized this guy played better drums than I did, and I had better step up as a singer. So that's kind of what I did. So you started, plus, you know, got you started... my, my balls didn't drop until I was forty, so I had a pretty high voice, you know. <laughs> 
So you started singing. Now, now was it something, you know, it just came out of uh, nowhere. I mean, you just said being in front, man. I mean, it came as a someone not showing up. Did you really enjoy it the first night you were up there? And did you say, I'm going to keep doing this? Or, I mean, or because that's a big responsibility, um, being a front man. I, you know, um, I, I was, I've always been kind of scared or uh, have that like sort of butterflies in my stomach every time, even to this day of going out on the, going out on stage when the lights go off and you go out and you're like, holy shit, I hope I'm good. And after five minutes, it's showtime at the Apollo. You know, it's, 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 it's it, it turns out great. So, you know, I, I knock on wood, I've had um, success at it, of, of beating that little five-minute stage fright. And that's kind of how I had it when I was a kid. I mean, I was kind of a class clown, and I, 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 I'm the oldest of my siblings, but I'd make, I'd do, like, shows for them and, and put on plays and, and recite um, comedians um you know, whoever the, but the popular ones were back in the day. And I would, um, um, just, you know, re, not recite poetry, but like basically recite dirty jokes <laughs> to my, to my sisters and my, uh, cousins and uncles and all that. And they'd be like, Hey, Eric, come out here. And, and then that's, I kind of learned how to play piano. I taught myself how to play guitar. Actually from a Tommy Tedesco, learn how to play guitar in seven days uh, book. That's how I learned how to play guitar. And I learned one chord and then kind of taught myself the other two. <laughs> anyway, um, um, and I, yeah, I just kind of, I was always kind of a showman. My dad was the same way. He was the guy with the lampshade on his head right. as well. You know. <laughs> so, you're, so you're doing this. Now, when do you decide that this is going to be your career? I mean, at what age do you sit there and go, I'm going to, or at least you're going to make an effort? What age and what happened? I was, well, I, we were in Europe, and I we we play all these gigs and uh, little parties and that kind of stuff. And it was just, for the heck of it, it was just fun. And we acted like we were rock stars at, you know, 12 or 13 or something. But when I moved, when we moved to the United States after being in Europe, in Germany, and Italy for about collectively about five years, moved to the United States. Um, I was a uh, God. What was I? Maybe uh, eighth grade, ninth grade. I can't remember. And I I got together with this we a band. We were, I don't remember what we were called back in the day. Uh, I want to say it was called Back Home, I think. Uh, but um, we played in our garage, and we were rehearsing in our garage, and uh, and somebody uh, lifted up the garage door, and people started coming to see us. And everybody was like, hey, man, we're not ready. This was good. This is like a concert, and I was like, "Hey, go with it!" And it, we did it, and everybody, you know, we, I'm getting all this attention, and I said, "This is that's kind of I went. This is what I want to do." And I was, you know, I was okay in school. I wasn't. I didn't. I didn't 
I learned things in school, but I didn't learn a vocation like a lot of my friends did. They, you knew that they were going to go on to automotive world, you know, and guys were, and nobody at that time, you know, wanted, I want to be a doctor, but I did know, I, you know, there was a lot of sports guys in school, and people were like, I think enough people said, man, you're really good, you you should, well, you're really good for your age, and then I kind of went, yeah, I think I'm going to do this, and uh, I think we played our first gig at some cocktail lounge called the Embers in Sacramento, and I made eight bucks, and I went, you get paid too? <laughs> well, I know, I know you guys eventually, uh, it was, when, when did you get into the band 415 that started getting very big? 415, uh, 415. the area code of San Francisco, um, it, it came way later, I mean, after, so after high school, I moved to uh, San Francisco, I got a, I had a band called Kid Courage that opened, like, like my dad, like we opened a national acts that come through town, like... Iggy Pop, David Bowie playing piano. Fuck. I mean, it was it was really uh, ACDC's one of their first uh, stops in San Francisco in 1978. Two shows with them. Uh, everything was going good. Kid Kurt, you know, we looked like we were going to get signed, and then um, I I was Mr. Cocky. I was I didn't go to I started to believe my own press. Uh, they had a, a magazine in, in the Bay Area. It was called BAM Magazine, Bay Area Music. And they were like uh, telling everybody that, uh, well, they were saying, you know, hey, you got to see this man, Kid Courage, the lead singer. He's the he's the main focus. He is Kid Courage. And I started believing my own press. Thank God this all happened when I was younger. But I didn't go to practice. Started, uh, you know, coming late to gigs, you know, just an idiot, and I got booted from the band, and I went to L.A., and I struggled big time, like two or three years, um, and just, I mean, <laughs> I mean, pretty pretty heavy struggling, no money, no nothing, big band house, got, a, you know, got another band, struggled two, three years, no, maybe some record company people going in. Maybe we think about. It. And then I got a call from this friend of mine that I'd worked with years ago, John Nyman, who is now uh, and has been for many years with YNT. Um, John had a band called Mile High, and they were popular in the Bay Area when Good Courage was popular. So he called me up and said, "Hey, we." We'd like you to be, you know, a singer of this band that we're putting together. Uh, we're not going to be Mile High anymore. We want to put together a new band. And it was, uh, yeah, it was just got Mark Ross. Um, anyway, it was great uh, musicians. And eventually we got Troy Laquetta, who went on to be the drummer for Tesla. And so it was me, John, and Troy kind of were kind of successful out of that thing, but 415, we took it from the area code of San Francisco, and then we played a bunch of shows, we we opened everybody from um, Holly, Holly Oates to Hart to Pat Travers to Loverboy to uh, Riot, 
I remember, um, oh God, Rick Springfield, Journey, um, Billy Squire, like just everybody. And we toured, not toured, I mean, we're like mainly it was just uh, up and down the West Coast. And then we wined and dined this guy, Sven Gali, manager, Herbie Herbert, who managed Journey. And uh, he came out to see us, and he goes, man, you're a great band, and but I'm not digging the 415. I think Eric is kind of the focal point, so we like to change the name to Eric Martin or Eric Martin Band, and, and the guys were kind of like, oh, man, this sucks. And, <laughs> and I, I remember going, I don't think it's a bad name, you know. <laughs> anyway, I, I mean, I was... I was kind of bummed because, you know, we're a band, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Herbie's like, yeah, don't, don't uh, let the door hit you on the ass on the way out. You know, you want to do this or not? So we did. And he got us a deal for Electra Records. And we, uh, Kevin Elson, uh, who was producing Journey, uh, produced my first album. It was called Sucker for a Pretty Face. And we toured with ZZ Top and Night Ranger for a little while and, and we were together for, I want to say, like 80 to 84. And uh, it was a great band. And I'm, you know, happy for all the successes. The other guys, uh, Tom Duke, our bass player, wanted to play like a popular country band in Oklahoma. Not, not you know, big time um, records or anything like that. Just a really great bass player in a, in a great country rock band called Tumbling Dice, and um, Mark Ross, poor guy, you know, he, he, he passed away a few years ago, um, uh, cancer, and then uh, John, uh, Dave Jacobson, who was our keyboard player, he played with UFO for a little while, and he's doing other things now, but Troy Lakata, Tesla, John Nyman, YNT, and Eric Mark from Mr. Big, not bad. No, it's a good lineup. Now, so you're playing with them. Now, why did you guys split up? Was there any reason? Was it just because you guys were all growing at different age, at different connections? No, we, no, we just, I think, well, we got signed by Electra, and we got all this attention and big push, and then, you know, we had a, we were part of the Eliminated Tour for a second, uh, for ZZ Top, and then we toured, we did a little thing with Night Ranger, and we worked our, our asses all off. All over the United States. That's hard to say. All over the United States, and when we were coming home, uh, Herbie gave us a call and said, uh, "The Electra fired 500 uh, employees, and a couple of those employees were the A and R people that signed you." and we're going to be working with some new A&R people. And I don't know what it was. It wasn't, you know, I mean, Herbie was, you know, it was a huge manager and, and was able to get some great big things for us. But uh, he, he, you know, the record company basically gave up on us. They, you know, like they would say, well, we didn't sign you. You know, we get, we're cleaning house. And at the time... Uh, me, Katrina and the Waves, and Molly Crew were like the bands of that uh, that got signed that year. That you know that I that, that I remember that was like kind of 
on the roster. And Katrina in the Waves had the gigantic kid walking on sunshine, but that was kind of it for them. They might have lasted it for a few more years, but we we didn't even last a year. And Motley Crue, well, that's that, <laughs> that's a whole new fucking story right there. But yeah, and then we got dropped, and we were trying to get another record deal, and it was just we it was just too long. We also had a band house that we were living in for many years. And that kind of killed our, killed it for us a little bit. Kind of lost our spirit because we were cooped up together constantly. But in a way, that's, that's the way it is. That's, that, that's supposedly how you're supposed to connect with your band. That's how like Mr. Big did it. We didn't do a band house, but we were on a tour bus for years. And it made us stronger, but it also did kind of tear us apart to, to an extent. Well, but, yeah. No, no, I was going to say, well, after, you know, I know you went solo after after uh, the, that group, and then after uh, the 415. When you went solo, mm-hmm. what was that like? Did you, I mean, were you always writing songs for the group? Did you always write songs since you were a kid? And, and you know, how did you... Did you, as you got older, and when you when that breakup happened, and the record label dropped you, which, you know, it's going to piss anyone off. Did that influence your writing style at all? I, I wrote because I, like, I wrote a couple songs when I was younger. I wrote like a handful of folky kind of songs when I was younger, but, and I also I had a really, I had a really good friend who was kind of a poet and taught me how to play a piano, and I had another girlfriend who kind of taught, gave me little pointers about writing and stuff like that. And But I didn't really, I didn't put my mind to the paper until I got in 415, you know. I wrote a little bit before that, when I was in L.A. and I was struggling and stuff, but uh, it was mainly music, it wasn't lyrics, and, and 415, and I, yeah, I was constantly writing. Uh, you know, I used to, those guys were, they were constantly partying. Uh, they were upstairs. It was like kegger every day. <laughs> and, uh, I'd be in my room with my funky upright piano and, uh, acoustic guitar and just writing. And, uh, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm, lost in the conversation as far as questions and answers, but after 415 and uh, Eric, or Eric Martin Band broke up, I I did have material, and I, I was, I did have enough material for a solo album. So, the, and I, and also, because the affiliation of, uh, with, with Herbie Herbert, he turned me on to these, you know, Neil Sean and Jonathan Kane and stuff, and Neil Sean and I, who was my gift horse back then my mentor um him and i we had written a few songs together and i had got uh, a movie soundtrack um called well i actually we wrote a song and it was for a movie called vision quest specifically for vision quest there was a lyric there was a there was, somebody said you know the eyes of the world are looking upon you and in the script, and I, I took that as a title, and I wrote this whole, uh, you know, sort of uplifting, you know, uh, you know, 
dust the ghost off your back and pick it. You know, that's not the lyrics, but you know, to just you know, pick yourself up and you, you can be you can beat this person in the ring or and you know, beat whatever you can you know out in the world. And and uh, so when I wrote the song with Neil, I knew that oh shit, and Journey was going to be in this uh, thing. And I think yeah, Journey was. I mean, it was all kinds of great. It was Lunatic Fringe, Red Rider. It was Madonna, Crazy for You. It was going to be a huge record, and it was going to get me off um, the couch that I was. I went to live with my dad again in the Bay Area, and you know I was sleeping on the couch and not having any, any direction. And I was going, oh, this is going to this is going to be my ticket out of here. And then the eleventh hour, somebody else got it. And but I did a, another sound track track with the same song. Um, we had written two songs. I can't stop, I can't stop the fire, and then we had submitted Eyes of the World to this movie called Teachers, which was eh, it was a good movie, but it wasn't Vision Quest. Vision Quest was a huge movie and an even bigger soundtrack. Um, uh, Teachers had Nick Nolte. Um, Ralph Macchio actually was in it, and there was a scene where he pulls down this fire drill, or fire, uh, emergency fire switch, and I Can't Stop the Fireplace, and it was kind of a big song in the movie, but, you know, I was still sleeping on my dad's couch after that, but, but it gave me a little taste. Uh, I, I got signed to Capitol Records because of the songs that I had written. We'd written about four or five ones as well, Four, four or five songs, but and those made it uh, on uh, the new solo album that I did, which was called just called Eric Martin. And uh, my songwriting did it w- was different. I mean, it was a little bit more, a lot more metaphors and a lot more. Uh, there was more of a message instead of you know limousines and rock and roll and chicks and all this stupid stuff you write about when you're a kid. It's amazing how people do change, and it's, it's so cool, uh, the growth. Now, as you're playing this, and then the, you, you, know, you got the confidence back somewhat, you got off the couch. Now, how did Mr. Big come about? Um, after, so, you know, a few soundtracks and some couple albums that I had. I was on Capitol. <clears throat> Around 88, I got a phone call from Mike Varney, who's kind of a... Uh, He's a record producer, uh, Shrapnel Records, very like uh, solo in- guitar, instrumental uh, oriented. He, you know, he discovered guys like Paul Gilbert and a guy named Greg Howe and um, oh God, what are they? Jason Becker and uh, Marty Friedman and uh, the list goes on. Um, and he was also really good friends with Billy Sheehan. And he gave me a call and said, hey, you know, there's a guy named Billy Sheehan's looking for uh, a singer who wants to start a band. And he goes, you know who Billy Sheehan is? And I go, eh, not really. I mean, you see that guy from the Yankee Rose video with all the colorful costumes and, and the posturing and, you know, and I was just, just being silly and not, I, would, I, I was being, you know, just being funny. And Barney goes, uh, yeah, well, Billy's on the other line. Right now, it was like a party call. And like, oh, shit, did I just ruin my big chances? And Billy was like, no, man, I, I really love what you did with Neil Sean, that I can't stop the fire song. 
I go, wow, really? And, and he goes, yeah, I want to start a band with you. I, he goes, I really like your... And I, I was saying, well, you know, what happened to David Lee Roth? I goes, hey, it fell through, and I'm not in the band anymore, but I really like your kind of rock and soul, Paul Rogers kind of voice. And, you know, you're a song writer, and I, I, I think it would be great us get together. And I go, do you have any other players? And he goes, nope, just you and me, that's it. And so him and I did a couple demos. Um, I written, I wrote a song called Big Love, which had nothing to do with Mr. Big, but Big Love, another, another song on piano called Rock and Roll Over. And we kind of arranged it a little bit. We made some demos, and then we shopped the deal, and, and everybody was like, eh, I don't know. You got to get some players. So Billy knew Paul uh, from the old days, and and knew him from around town, and I, I had no clue who Paul Gilbert was. I, Mike Barney gave me a, um, a guitar player for the practi Practicing Musician magazine, and I'm flipping through it, going, why is Paul Gilbert in here? And he goes, no, you got to check out these weird advertisements. And he he put together this <laughs> kind of this campaign about maybe about his guitars or his pedals or what he uses. And it was like him at his breakfast table with like a box of Wheaties, and he and he was rocking out on it on his Wheaties, like you know the sports guys do. And I'm like, oh, well, this guy's got a good sense of humor. You know, I didn't. I only knew that about him i knew that he was a heavy metal guitar player speed kind of metal thing but i had no clue what that meant I, that wasn't my world i was i was kind of r&b guy not classical r&b but like you know more i, I was more hollow notes than uh than I, as a solo artist and uh, i had no clue what the rock scene was like in l.a and I didn't know who Billy Sheehan was or his past or anything, but I, I did know that I wanted to be in a rock and roll band, and I was kind of tired of being, you know, dancing around on stage like a, <laughs> I don't know, who I, you know, trying to be somebody else. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I needed to, uh, you know, it was like the call of the wild for me in a way to have uh, to, to to get in Mr. Big. And uh, and I took a chance, and it and it kind of worked out. I mean, Paul Gilbert came, Pat Torpy. We auditioned. He was our second drummer to uh, audition. He sounded amazing, and I swear to God, we wrote our what ended up on our record in about eight days. We also practiced those songs for about a year. Did showcase after showcase. Every record company passed on us. They didn't see it. Even um, Billy Sheehan brought it into Ted Templeman. Ted was working with the Bullet Boys then, and I, he just didn't have time. And, uh, you know, just uh, there was a lot of uh, slamming doors, you know. And and then uh, Atlantic Records was going to come out to see us. They came from New York to California. Billy got sick, some kind of a stomach thing. And... We didn't even meet up with the company, but we had that little cassette demo. And they went, eh. and, this, and then, I can't remember which guy, but I want to say a guy named John Greenberg. I, I'm, I, I, that name pops into my head. I don't know if that's uh, even an Atlanta guy. I think it is. But um, 
they went back to New York and uh, they signed us. I couldn't believe it. You know. So am I talking to nobody? No, they stopped. So they, they, <laughs> am I, they, am I they, talking to nobody they, Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, 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 I always let you talk. I always interrupt. That's what I thought. I, it's thing. Uh, so they sign you, and now then after they sign you, how does it feel to go into the studio? It, knowing that you've practiced and you've played these songs for so long, did it make was, it that much easier? It was a cake. It was, it was a cakewalk. We, we, we were... When, you know, when, when I got in Mr. Big... Um, I was still managed by Herbie Herbert. I just want to kind of bring that up first, but I was, I was managed by Herbie Herbert. And so when Billy got a lead singer, he also got Herbie Herbert and he got a producer because Kevin Elson kind of came along with that as well. Kevin and I worked, worked so well together. He could, he, I, whatever he did or spiritually or the communication that we had, he would bring out a great vocal, and like my my favorite vocals are from Kevin Elson. So I brought Kevin Elson with me, and when we went into this, oh, this is kind of weird. We we were just about ready to go into the studio, and Pat Torpy gets a phone call from Herbie Herbert again, and says Robert Plant's drummer broke his wrist. Uh, playing soccer in a shower, goof, what a goof, and and it like it, like you know on tour, knocking you know kicking a soccer ball in in a shower. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it, look, look, I'm an accident waiting to happen too. So you know, I I'm the only one that kind of kind of identify with that. I would do something stupid like that too. So anyway, um, Pat Pat was asked. You know, everybody knew to Pat. Uh, was you know cut his teeth and uh, was weaned on Led Zeppelin and when Mr. Big first got together in our rehearsal studio we just jammed on every influence Zeppelin free humble pie and Pat Torpy I mean he he was amazing at at that and so Herbie knew that and Herbie called him up and we were just about ready to go in the wreck in the studio, but nobody freaked. Everyone was like, Pat, you got to play with Robert Plant. It's Robert Plant. Right. And he did. And he did. He, he did the Manic Nirvana tour. And we waited for him. And that's ironic because uh, when, while we were waiting for him, we played a couple gigs. I uh, remember we played a couple gigs with the guys in Tesla. Uh, it was, I don't know if we, I don't know what we called it, but it was, it was Billy, Paul, and myself, and it was, uh, Jeff Keith, Frankie Hannon, and, um, Troy Laqueta. And we had played a couple shows together in the Bay Area, because that's where we were. We, you know, I live in the Bay Area, and the band, uh, live in LA, and so, uh, they everybody came up to work on this record, and Pat went off to play with Robert Plant, and and the and we all kind of got together and played some shows in the Bay Area. You know, that was I don't know why I'm bringing that up, but that's that is kind of a little well, little trivia. It's you know, cool though because both, you sat but, there, you, you kept you kept even though you knew everything was going right, you still you still wanted to 
play a lot. So now you finally, when he comes back and you guys record the album, what is it like when it finally comes out and it starts doing well and you start getting the tour? I mean, you've been, you know, you've, you've been up and down. You know, you've yeah, yeah, you came close to some things, you didn't get some things, and now Mr. Big comes along. What's it like for you and as a front man when you see that you're gaining a, a pretty big following? It it was way different than uh, I mean like I did have a big following with the Eric Martin band in the eighties, early eighties. We did we definitely had a following. But with Mr. Big it was it was louder. <laughs> it was it was louder. The crowd was loving it and they were loving the chemistry of these two pyrotechnical great guitar player guys and the, and also the fact that all of us sang at harmony and just played. It was there was some it was something different about it. I mean, obviously there was like tons of bands. Kind of not that that had like a little inkling. Like a little not inkling, but like a little something that they had. But we had we had the full on package. We sang great together, played great together, could play for hours. That's one thing that I hated it, but that's how I became kind of a better singer live. I thought maybe maybe some people disagree, but I felt like I brought I built a lot of stamina because we would play two hour plus shows every freaking night. And granted, I had a lot more power. I was a little younger, but um, we would play four to five shows and then travel and four or five shows. I mean, we'd play a lot. And yeah, the first couple months of touring with Mr. Big, it was like more shows than I'd ever played with Eric Martin Ben. And we, it wasn't super successful like like we thought it was going to be. It didn't. I, I don't even think the record went gold, but we had a huge following, and there was no. Um, there, might, there was MTV, but it was, yeah, of course there was MTV, and they played Addicted to That Rush, you know, and it wasn't, but it wasn't on a like full rotation, but we still, word of mouth, um, had, uh, and there was no internet, right? Uh, we had um, people coming to the shows, I mean, we played some big shows, and we played some tiny ass shows, and then we got picked up by um, Rush. To uh, touring, actually, I think we got picked up with Rush before our second album came out, and because I mean we went right into the studio to do our second album. Pretty, you know, we we did like maybe a year or two of touring on that first uh, Mr. Big album, and then it was like eh, we released. Um, I took that rush, and I think Big Love. Um, Addicted was the single, but there was no, you know, they, 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 nobody, there was no set single. It was just like album. The, you you play anything off an album, but uh, we went right into the studio on the Lean Into It album, and before the record came out, we went on tour with Rush, and uh, totally changed our our lives and changed their lives as well, which is kind of funny because both bands, specifically 
Rush had guys. No offense to the ladies out there. I know you're, you're Rush fans as well, but the majority of fans out there were a lot of, there was a lot of testosterone in the room. And even for us, we had all dudes and Rush had all dudes. And I remember Getty and Alex saying to me, dude, you're, this little to be with you song. <laughs> Thanks for bringing chicks to the Rush audience, you know? Same thing with us. Um, when Green Tinted came out, To Be With You, and Just Take My Heart, and those little ballads thing that would, was on, on the record, people, a lot more people started coming out. It wasn't just, but it was like, it wasn't the hardcore, heavy rock, muso type guys coming out only. It was a, just, it was a cornucopia of, uh, of, of folks that would come out. Well, as a musician, that must say that must say great things for you when you get a crowd that's diverse and comes out. Because you know we always say about you know, the same thing about Rush. Yeah, everyone knows. It's like I went, me and my girlfriend went to see Yes at the Greek, and at Yes, you're going to see a bunch of guys in ponytails. It's just their crowd. That's you, you can't help that. But it must be great for you. I mean, so you guys are getting popular now. How do you explain? your popularity in Japan. I've had so many guys from metal bands and have played ballads and it's just amazing how they say that the, the Japanese fans are just insane. How did they get so into you? What happened? What would you say? Because you guys are giant over there. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, there's a couple different answers. We did, you know, a lot of the bands who go over there and they're going, oh my God, they treat you like the Beatles, Right. And the crowd goes nuts, and they, they, when they love a band, they'll totally stand behind you, and they'll get, they'll have your back. But a lot of those guys, I mean, feel sorry for them, but like they, they weren't able to come back. It cost a lot of money to go back to Japan, you know, and and it, or they, they, they would do a tour, and then like you know, five years later they'd come back or something like that, but. We were consistent. We toured for God, for a minute there. I was going to Japan twice a year for about 10 years um, to promote and to play shows. And we just kept coming back, and, and it was a full-on campaign. Plus, uh, like, you know, there was no email, so it was like letters, constant <laughs> writing letters, to fans who eventually, after so many times of going over there, became friends, you know, not close friends you had for dinner, but close enough that you knew, you knew their names and you knew their, you knew where they came from and, and how many shows they had been to and, and just the, the, the heart pouring out, you know, just, you know, very emotional people, the, the, the Japanese fans are. And it became kind of a family bond, like almost family. Uh, we all grew up together. We, we played there so much. And we were consistent. We, we did, we, when we said, we'll be back, you know, we, did, we came back, like immediately. Our first stop was always Japan after uh, our records. And you know, people started, you know, uh, uh, other countries were like, oh, man, you go to Japan so bad. Well, you go with, you go where, where it's not, it wasn't just the money. It was the, it was the, 
the connection that we had. So now, we've been loyal, they've been loyal. See, that's and great. And we look at it. Now, as you're playing with Miss Big earlier, you had said that, you know, just for being on the road for so long, you know, and then you guys, ended up, that was maybe one of the reasons why you broke up. What was it like when, after you, when you guys did break up? Now, and you, did you immediately go back into solo? Because you had been done solo stuff before? I went, uh, so we made, uh, God, did the Mr. Big album, Hey Man, Bump Ahead, uh, no, I'm sorry, was it? No. Lean into it, bump ahead, hey man. Then Paul left. And then about eight months later, Richie Cotton came into the picture. Um, and we did uh, Get Over It and Actual Size. Did two more. And then uh, then the band split up. We, uh, a multi multitude of reasons, uh, just, you know, just stuff like so stupid to go into now because, you know, the, all that stuff swept under the carpet. Actually, there's no more carpet left. That carpet's deteriorated now. It's a new, <laughs> it's new carpets. So, um, uh, yeah, we we split up, and I went and did uh, I did a couple solo albums, and then I also got in something called uh, it was a Takamatsumoto Group, TMG, and this guy Takamatsumoto is kind of like the favorite son of Japan guitar player, um, songwriter, who, with this other guy named Koshi Anaba, they have a group um, called Bees. B, capital B, apostrophe Z. And they are one of the longest running rock and roll, uh, pop rock and roll bands in Japan, sold 80 to 90 million records. Wow. Ironically, they're, and they're live, they only play in Japan, but they, uh, you know, they, they have this huge live show, and ironically, um, before Takamatsumoto wanted to do, like, an American rock and roll band record, and enlisted me, and Jack Blades, and their drummer Brian Tishy, he was on tour in Japan, and Billy Sheehan was playing with him, so it's kind of incestuous, it's all kind of small world. But um, uh, talk about some motor group. It was a, it was fantastic, great state of the art, really great rock and roll record. You got to hear it. Really good songs that Jack played and I wrote. And Brian Tishy played the drums on it, and so did Cindy Blackman. But uh, they didn't go on the road with us. A, a phenomenal drummer who I always loved. This guy Chris Frazier, who plays with Foreigner now, he played drums with us when Takamatsumoto Group, TMG, went to Japan. We played 20 sold-out shows, including a couple Budokans in a row. It was mega. And and that was it. It was only like a year of that. And so after that, I I had children. And, you know, people would ask, I had twin boys, and when people ask, what are you doing now? You know, right. people, what are you doing? I haven't heard from you in a couple of years. And I go, I'm, I just had two American releases. Anyway, that was my joke <laughs> with my two children. And I became, you know, super dad. Now, which one is, which you're one of those? You're talking to a, 
You're talking to a guy right now who's easily changed 7,000 diapers <laughs> and loved every minute of it. Which one and of the kids is on your website? Yeah. And who, who introduced you? What'd you say? On your website, there's a there's a kid. Is that which? Is, yeah, is Dylan. That, now, how'd you pick which one would be Dylan. on? <laughs> Jacob, Jacob's shy. Okay. He's super shy guy. And uh, it's ironic. And she's like, a, he was a little guy. And Dylan was the older brother, only by 25 minutes. Okay. And But we'd say, did, did Dylan's the older brother? And Dylan was like me, you know, and, and my dad before me, kind of the lampshade on the head. He would do any. I go, Dylan, you want to see? I was in the studio. And I was singing on some project, and he go, and I go, tell me, you want to say something? What are, like, can can you say like, you know, ladies and gentlemen, um, Eric Martin? And then he goes, you know, he said he goes, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Eric Martin. And I go, anything else? And he goes, I love you, da- I love you, Daddy. Which which I looked at him and I didn't tell him to say that, but I go, anything else you want to say? Like leaning towards, come on, say something like that. And he did, and. And it was great. And now here they are, you know, twelve years old, and uh, Dylan is about five, six, and Jacob is six, six one. Oh wow! He's twelve years old. That's yeah. great. Anyway, um, and he's not shy anymore. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I had these kids, and uh, I stopped working for about three years. I mean, I mean, I played. I did some weekend warrior stuff, but for the most part, I just didn't work. And I did get a couple, I got asked to uh, audition for Foreigner, actually, ironically. Mick Jones had called me. We had worked together years ago, me, Mick, and and Lou, and tried to write some songs, but it didn't work out. But Mick had called me and said, see if I wanted to join Foreigner or audition for it. And I couldn't. I wanted to, but I, you know, just, I just, I didn't want to, I, I didn't want to rush right back into another rock and roll band. I wanted to be with my kids. I was, I was, that was two big dreams in my life to have, be successful in music business and to have a, uh, to have children, you know, I should have said a successful marriage as well. I've had a, I have a, I've had a couple of those. I should have thought of that first. <laughs> Well, we gotta go soon. But I gotta <laughs> soon. You're back on tour again with Mr. Big. How did that feel? I know you got. I know you guys go over to South America and just uh, in like in August, I believe. What's it like being back with those guys yeah. and playing with them? Oh, it's really good. It's great. I, it's the best band I've ever been in my life. Uh, I've worked. You know, I know we we're talking here, and I've worked with some great people. Uh, John Nyman from Lion T and Troy Laketa from Tesla, and I. You know, I, we. I've, and and t- people that I'm going to be working with uh, at the Throckmorton on Friday, great, great musicians. But, and no offense to them, and they would totally get it too. No one holds a candle to Billy Sheehan, Paul Gilbert, and Pat Torpy. Well, that's awesome. So, so. It, it, does, it, it does feel, uh, I, I love I loved playing with these guys. They sing so good. That's one of a big thing of mine, you know. Like when I play with Mr. Big, and then I play with other people, but the bar is really high, and people know. And you know, I, I'm 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 giving, and I'm cool, and I know what you can do, and 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 there's you know, I don't always when I play with musicians, I, you don't have to be super solo guy or anything. I, 
but you de- you definitely have to step up and be <laughs> maybe because of Mr. Big, but you have to be great. You have to be super talented. So I know it's like I, I feel like I'm trying to be a perfectionist, but I I do. Um, it, it's it's hard when I work with the guys in Mr. Big because they're you know Billy Sheehan, Paul Gilbert, God, amazing players. And that makes you bring your level up. I mean, that's great, though. That means every, and that means they think the same as you because you guys got back together. So that must be great. There must be such a trust and, and just a, such a mutual respect that when you when you get on stage and when you go in the studio, it just must be a, a great feeling because you know the product's going to make all of you happy. Yeah. All right. Sorry, man. I got you. Got you on speakerphone. Sorry. Uh, oh, no problem. Anyway, we uh, we got to wrap up. Just so you know, so so your website is. EricMartin.com. Yeah, and my but my Facebook. How do you how do you find it? I mean, there's a few Facebooks of mine, but I do have a Facebook. Eric Martin. Um, it's got a big old, big old, uh, colorful picture of me folding my arms on it. I can't. I can't really. Uh, I think it's just Eric Martin. Uh, dot com. I guess Facebook. I don't know how to how that kind of works out. But, um, and a Twitter. And what's your Twitter? Um, shit. I, I don't know. I'll get it, real, just, I'll get it real quick. I'm, te- I'm technically not inclined. Uh, my Twitter would be Eric Martin Band. I, I don't know what it would be. I guess so. I'm guessing, uh, you know what it is? I'll tell you right now. It's uh, Eric Martin Band. It's not Eric Martin Band. Eric Martin Band. So anyway, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me, Eric. Uh, it was great talking, and uh, I may try to make it up to Mexicali because, as I said, I live in New Jersey now, and uh, it's I think it's an hour and ten minute ride up the turnpike. So I can always do, do that. Where, where did you live before that? I lived in L.A. for 15 years. I just moved back. I was just tired, I was tired of L.A., man. got to me. It was... God, yeah, I know. You, you go there, and you... You always think it's going to be something different than it is, and yeah, I lived in L.A. and I'm gone. So glad I'm out of there. But, um, but New Jersey, yeah, New Jersey's become kind of a little second home to me because of working with P.J. and Steve uh, from the Trickster guys, and 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 also Joe Lynn Turner. Him and I have become friends over the years, and yeah, I like it. You got to come down to Mexicali Live. It, it is going to be fun. We're going to have maybe Joe will stop by and. Um, uh, or maybe our friend Michael Sweet, and um, you know anybody and everybody. And Michael's uh, been on the show. Slaughter's been. I've, all, all all your friends have been on my show. So I, I'd love to come down and meet you guys. But uh, so people follow him at Eric Martin Band. Follow me at Cooper Talk. Go to my website CooperTalk.net. I have over 620 episodes. My other website StopTheSalt.com. Remember when I had that health problem? I wrote a cookbook. It's 120 low sodium recipes. Easy to make. No pictures. No ingredient no major ingredients it's very good so you can get it at amazon.com or you can go to stopthesalt.com and get it and that's all i'm saying so go please check out ericmartin.com follow him on twitter at eric martin band i'm steve cooper i'm only as hip as my guest don't forget drink your water eat your vegetables take your vitamins and i'll talk to you guys next week